How many times have I had two guests on the show? At all? Have I? I think this is the first. I don't listen to my show very often, so I because we've I done yeah, we did on cameras or whatever, like me and Cameron, yeah, but yeah, but I haven't had the two of you, and if, we've never been on yet. Together. If you can't recognize voices super easily, uh, I've got Jordan Drake and Chris Nichols, who've been on here separately. And um, this is bringing them together, which makes sense. I mean, you guys are kind of known as a team. So. This is the way it was always supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. Except that Chris isn't in the room, tragically. <laughs> so uh, so you're going to get cut out of I'm some not, conversations. But. I'm not feeling very well. <laughs> oh, well, well, we'll be gentle on you. I appreciate it. The two of you are, are, are most of all here because you've got some really big news that uh, I didn't get the scoop on. So the world already knows. But, but I, I want to follow up on it a bit, especially like towards the end of the show. Let's talk about it in detail. Well, let's swing back around. You guys are known for being the camera store TV. Like yep. together you built this amazing YouTube channel with three... 315,000 subscribers. Fantastic. And I mean, like you're known for, for, for like pretty much any camera that you search for. You're one of the first results a lot of the time. Like it's, mm. it, it, it's really great what you guys have built. And now you're making a shift. We just switched. So we are now going to be producing videos for DP Review. Which is amazing. It's crazy. Like it's, <laughs> And then the, the, I don't, also don't want to cut the camera store out of the conversation because there's exciting new things planned for what yeah, they're, they're, they're going to do. Yeah, they're going to continue the show with some new hosts, which I think is a great decision. And I think the people they chose are excellent. Totally, yeah. There's no, no need for them to lose the amazing thing that you guys built. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm excited to see where that goes. But your new thing is that the biggest photo <laughs> website in the world. Like this is how DP reviews where I grew up learning about cameras. Like half of my technical knowledge yeah. is, is all from DP reviews. Well, and I started at a camera store coming from a video background and knew nothing about cameras. But I was like, I need a job, and DP review saved me. That's where I learned everything <laughs> right. about digital photography like 13 <laughs> years ago. Uh, and some would argue, you know, still whenever I, I'm in a panic, I'm. You know, DP review is open, and I'm scrolling through it to find the answer to the question. I, I think so many people are. So it's it's going to be awesome to have you guys like kind of head up their video thing because they just had relatively less video content considering how much else they did. Yeah, it, they I guess just didn't have the time or whatever. You know, well, I think it, they didn't budget have wise they were like they needed sponsored content to make it work, but they're famous for being the most basically unbiased, you know, review site out there. And I just don't think they were playing to their strengths with the YouTube channel. Right. So now we can just throw our personalities out there, but we have actual facts backing us up <laughs> now instead of like, well, I mean, this is, seems to be what we're looking at, but our methodology oh, is flawed. <laughs> this is going to be so good. Yeah, I'd say a fair amount of our uh, technical research for TCS TV actually came from a lot of the DP Review website. So, yeah, it's just a natural fit for us to really do this and have them backing us up. And we'll have even more credibility because our lab tests kind of suck, to be honest, don't they, Jordan? <laughs> well, you can't have lab tests without a lab. Yeah, it, was, it was pretty rough. <laughs> do you know that feeling where you're in a conversation and you start talking about like you, you tell like an anecdote or talking about, especially with science, like I like reading popular science books. And so I find myself telling people things that I learned, but I am so far from the original source that I always feel like a total imposter. Right. That's how I feel talking about a lot of photography, a lot of camera <laughs> stuff. Cause I'm like, I'm actually just uh, trying to recite what I read on TP <laughs> review because they did the real work on it when it comes to like the technical things, you know, like, yeah. yeah. And to be able to just call up the guys who, you know, made discoveries like, you know, with the a seven three, the striping issue and stuff that yeah. got blown out of proportion. We could talk to the people and say, what is the real deal with this? What did you find? Uh, which is amazing. Awesome. Well, let's circle back around to yeah. it. I want to talk 
about two things. Uh, the, the bigger topic is I want to talk about kind of hybrid shooting and video and photography. Mm-hmm. But first, the latest camera I spent real time with was the A7R three. Uh, the camera store was gracious enough to lend it to me for two weeks while I was traveling. I went to Sweden and Denmark and uh, was uh, mostly using it for video. But fortunately, and this ties into today, I was able to shoot a lot more stills on it than right. when I shoot with the A7R II, which is the Sony that I've owned for a few years now. So I'll just start talking about my thoughts and Perfect. you guys can can interject uh, everything that you know. I mean, first of all, have either of you spent much time with it? I don't know. Yeah, quite a bit. That was actually my pick for the last year's camera of the yeah. year. Uh, we've done, I guess, two press trips with that guy. And of course, we've shot with it here in, as well. And yeah, it's just kind of a really nice jack of... Well, we thought it was the jack of all trades camera until something else happened <laughs> recently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a huge step forward just in terms of, you always said, the image quality is great. It's just usability. They've got to kind of hammer those points out. And it's pretty much the same sensor as the as the two, right? And It's the same sensor. How do you find it for stills, Chris? You know, I think with the A7R three, the big appeal is that it really almost starts to approach medium format quality in a lot of ways. Very, very sharp, incredible dynamic range. And I think the big things for me, though, really, honestly, it was the battery. It was the better viewfinder. It was the improved autofocus. Those were the big changes for me. I mean, the A7R2 always took great stills. But really, from a usability standpoint, I think the big achievement, and, and with the A9 as well, but it's such a niche camera, is that Sony really decided to say, hey, everything that you dislike about mirrorless cameras, any complaints that you have, Anything that you would say, this camera isn't as good as DSLR, they rectified or addressed. And so I think that was really the big takeaway. You know, image quality is always great on cameras. What was amazing here was you have a mirrorless camera that can actually compete with DSLRs and even medium format DSLRs to some degree. Something I've always had a hard time getting across on the internet is how really significant and how important it is to have good usability in a camera. I did that one video a while ago comparing A7R2 to the 5D Mark IV. Mm -hmm. And I had all these categories and they scored kind of similarly overall that, you know, they tied a few times and they kind of won similar amounts. And at the end I was like, oh, I prefer the Sony for video and the Canon for stills. But um, I, I couldn't really drive home just how much the the poor usability of the Sony right. really, really yeah. got in my way. Like, so when I'm talking about like, oh yeah, like for, for stills, like tons of dynamic range and it's really, really sharp and all these things I'm saying make it sound like then, then it's better. It's a better photo camera. Like, why is it not? Yeah. It, the photos come out better. <laughs> but the thing is those advantages were marginal, like in, especially in their usefulness when it comes to the, the type of sharpness is at a hundred percent, you know, like the overall yeah. sharpness is not, perceptible in, in prints at all no. the added megapixels i haven't used the whole time that i've had the camera i haven't you know pushed them ever and also i found that even though the di- there technically was a dynamic range advantage but i just never experienced it like there was never a time that i had shot on both of them then i was like wow the sony really blows the cannon away like, that never happened well and we're going to put a video together about this pretty quick but to take advantage of the dynamic range that we've got in these new sony cameras and stuff the shooting experience is Terrible because you know you're yeah. basically shooting right. a black frame right. with a well exposed high exposed highlight, and you know that's what you're seeing looking through the viewfinder. Mm-hmm. That's what you're seeing when you bring the images in, and then you play with that in post. Um, so yeah, I think we're kind of hitting the point of diminishing returns in image quality. It's just great to see. 
the usability side gets sorted out. Because I had an A6300, which I loved the image, especially the video on it was spectacular. But eventually I sold it just because I didn't enjoy taking yeah. pictures with it. And I think this is going to continue to be a problem moving forward because the usability is getting better, but still kind of slowly. Like those, all those things you just mentioned, Chris, are huge jumps, but it's still noticeably behind the candidate that that doesn't catch it up unfortunately right um so we're going to be at this place where i'm probably going to be using a sony a lot more because all of a sudden it's good enough but it could still be so much better <laughs> so i'm still giving giving up some things in terms of like workflow and that but um anyways just talking some more about the a7r specifically i really found those additions to be in- incredibly helpful larger batteries great i found that i was burning through it faster faster than i expected just based on everybody's reviews, because I think it's it's such a big jump from what we had that maybe I had overset my expectations, but I still could easily use up a whole battery in, in a day in of a kind day, of normal yeah. shooting, sort and like get into the second battery. Like yeah. I need I need to have two. And you're generally a battery a day on a on yeah, your 5D on, on the Canon. Yeah, yeah. I'll basically go through one like end on a full battery, and it was just a little more than that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm shooting more video on the Sony, so eating up more i don't know is there a big difference between the 4k and 1080 in terms of battery not really in terms of battery life at all no we didn't see much there um because it still is it has to downsample that 1080 um which is actually a little more work on the processor so uh yeah we didn't see a big difference there but if i shoot 1080 it's generally all slow-mo otherwise with the sony's the 1080 24 and 30 is not great so that stuff that was that's what i loved about this camera Mm -hmm. is the the s and q mode being added where i can instantly shoot 120 frames per second i use that so much so that i'm just jumping back and forth getting you know similar shots that are like here's a 24 version and here's a 120 version mm-hmm. and 120 is really slow especially when i'm used to 60 yeah like it's it really really freezes the motion and like uh so i would find that collecting b-roll i mean yeah okay anybody that's shot slow motion before we already we already know this but like experiencing it in the camera i'm using every day means that when i'm collecting b-roll i can just shoot for two seconds and have a usable amount of footage. Like I have right. 10 seconds out of two seconds, yeah. which all of a sudden that's a full shot. So if I'm getting scenery, like if the event happening isn't really important, I'm just like kind of capturing scenery, which is what I was doing. I was shooting like a city guide. So I was yeah. just getting a lot of uh, basically, you know, moving stills. Mm-hmm. And so I just like turn on recording and stop it almost right away. Like I just, yeah. and, and then you, you have back so and much more. And you're like, I'll just drag it around exactly, however yeah. long we need. Yeah. It is really nice to have that quick access to it for sure. Yeah. So that was one thing I really enjoyed. And then uh, probably the biggest feature in terms of stills was just faster operation. Yeah. Uh, that was my huge complaint with the seven R two is that it would lock up if you had shot more than a few frames and you couldn't take the next one or you couldn't review the previous ones. Or yeah. it, it was just really really too slow and then the files are so big that when you're downloading them they take they're really heavy they take a long time to download they are slow to generate previews and to flip through them and everything everything about it just slowed yeah everything down so i guess that second slide's the same because there's still 40 megapixels but <laughs> uh, but like chris how do you feel about giant megapixels before even getting on the topic of big megapixels, I mean, I think we're I think we're spoiled for image quality nowadays, and we've talked about that in the last podcast. You know, we worry about dynamic range and all that kind of stuff. But I think the thing to remember is that Canon and Nikon, they do make very usable cameras because they've been at this business for a long time and they perfected their design, so to speak. 
And and at the same time, you know, people complain about the Sony's not having this capability to compete, but Sony is improving day by day, right? I mean, it's it's easy to make better battery life, relatively speaking. It's easy to make your camera more usable by changing buttons and listening to feedback. What Canon and Nikon don't seem to be doing is really pushing their cameras into a hybrid format. Feels like they've kind of let video go. And they're just like really hanging on to their stills heritage desperately. Like, please don't take this away from us, too. And uh, yeah, I think it really puts companies like Panasonic and Sony in an interesting place where they can make true hybrid cameras. And, uh, you know, the fact that Sony makes all the sensors for everybody really gives them the ability to push the edge on megapixels and dynamic range and low light performance anyways. So they're going to be at the forefront of everything, in, in, in a, or at least they're in a really good position to do so. I've also noticed that a lot of the edge that people talk about with the uh, colors being so much better on Canon, the way that Lightroom updated their color profiles, I I don't know if that's exactly what it is. I, I've never had a big problem matching raw images. Like if I kind of know, if I know what I want them to look like and have them side by side, I can get them to look Oh yeah. Same, like, in the new A7 III, uh, yeah. they just tweaked the color in a big way as far as skin tones go. So, you know, they uh, it looks like they're going to hopefully start aiming things towards the studio market and the commercial market too. Oh, well, and by the way, I bought one. Yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, bury the headline. I just, today from uh, from you guys, I just got the A7 III and... Uh, yesterday on our last day. Oh yeah, yeah it was yesterday. <laughs> today I just spent my first day uh, using it, but I, I don't want to get into it yet because I... I just started using it. I'll have more to say later. Really quickly, because you just grabbed that new camera. This Is this your first camera that you've used with that new 3.6 million dot EVF on it? The it's, A7R3 that you took oh, out on your trip? Three, yes. Yeah. I um I didn't notice it. Really? Didn't notice it at all? No. Okay. I mean, I knew about it, yeah. and I thought to look at it, and then I didn't remember to, and I never noticed a difference. It's, it's <laughs> funny. I felt like that was the exact threshold for me, because I've you know, we saw it with like the, like SL, but then when they put it in the Panasonic GH5, when I'm shooting video, I felt like that was the exact right. tipping point where I could start to focus without punching in yeah. to confirm it. One one thing about the A7R3 is I really strongly recommend, if anybody out there buys it, Dave Dugdale's courses where he introduces a camera, um, I bought I bought it for the A7R2, and that is the only way I learned how to use that camera. Like, and these courses are like five or six hours long, and he just goes really, really in depth. And a really unfortunate truth about the Sony's is like you need a full day to get those yeah. cameras set up. True. Like literally, like it's about an hour to get the basics ready, and then the rest of the day kind of noticing what you missed and what doesn't quite feel right. And you're going to probably set it up a little bit differently each time because you don't remember what you did. <laughs> and if you hand your camera to anyone else, they won't know. They have no idea how to use. It's it. crazy. Like. I, uh, it's, a, it's a really big problem. I mean, so one thing he recommended in it is to change the ISO button to be the white balance because in the previous model, that's it was, Where it it was, was in that position and they yeah. moved it. And I'm staring at that. I'm like, do I want to basically break the design of my camera? So if, if anybody else picks this up, they're like, but it says ISO. And I have to be like, no, 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 that's white balance. Yeah. I know the camera says it's one thing, but it's another. Like, that's crazy. You don't let anybody else ever touch your camera, Tyler. <laughs> well, it's kind of, it's kind of true. But. <laughs> this is something we find a lot on the Sony press events. It's funny. They're like, you'll get your camera, and then we'll start shooting in an hour and a half. And we're like, that's a weird space for that. <laughs> but then you realize, oh, no, that's for us to go back to our hotel rooms and set our cameras yeah. up so they're actually usable. I, I don't know how Sony's okay with this. Again, that's another thing I found really weird in the responses uh, to any Sony videos I've done is people are like, no, what's wrong with customization? 
Yeah. What's so bad about being able to customize it? It's, no, it's that you have to. Everybody has to. Whereas there's just something about canons that they can figure out like, no, the way that it works, works. You can't change most of these things and nobody's going to mind right. and still praise Canon for having the best usability, even though you can't change what these buttons do. But again, that's kind of back to my previous comment in that you know they've had time to really get all the feedback down pat, stick to design format, and basically just say like, hey, everybody, like this is how it's going to be like it or not. And, and I mean, that's, that's not a bad idea. Um, where Sony, I think, is still trying to get their legs and try to see, you know, what direction do people want to go? What are most people going to want? Or in this case, just give them as much customizability as possible. And other companies have done that too. I mean, Pentax was, however you look at it, good or bad for that as well. You know, endless customization and, and uh, tweaking. Olympus too, to be honest. But the, the truth is now, I mean, just the specs have started to catch up with that usability. And so like I say, I think a lot of people are going to be switching to Sony now. Oh, yeah. This is the generation that it, it stops making sense to spend the same amount to get a 5D Mark IV, basically, right? Huh? It, or a little less than a... For an A7 III or an R3? A7R III. Yeah, pretty much the same price. Pretty much the same price. Yeah. And you're giving up quite a bit. Yeah. Or spend half the price on an A7 III mm-hmm. and get still more features. Exactly. Yeah. I'm frustrated by a lot of this usability stuff. I think... We need to criticize Sony for it. We need to push them to, even if you're winning the tech race, yeah. you need to make this better because if this is going to be my brand of choice, it can't suck this bad. Right? Yeah. Well, so. and you're in an interesting situation because Anya's a photographer as well. Right. So I'm sure she's like, no, don't give me your camera. She hates yeah. like she hates working with Sony because right. it doesn't make any sense to her. And, and that's the kind of thing of like, she's not going to want to memorize unlabeled buttons. Like, yeah. I, I barely have the patience for that, and I'm nerdy. <laughs> Normal people are, are going to be frustrated by this. If, so. if my ISO button actually did white balance, that would drive me insane. <laughs> I wouldn't be able yeah. to play. I couldn't do it. I didn't reassign it. I got, <laughs> but now there's no white balance. There's no button labeled white balance. I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. We, we love Dave Dugdale, but that suggestion was lunacy. Yeah, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> I'm going to get Dave on the show and call him out. <laughs> also, this is a buy. Just a general general overview, you can buy this camera. It's It was fantastic if you happen to need more yeah. megapixels than the a7 III. If you need high-res, I think it's the best option yeah. out there right now. So stay tuned to future episodes for the a7 III. And now let's talk about photo and video. So you guys make the most sense out of anybody to be on here because you do both. Chris focuses on stills, Jordan focuses on video, mm-hmm. and then together you do them both and then review them. I mean... Yeah, you kind of know you know this area. Well, and it's interesting too because we've really, through the course of the show, gone between. You know, people are always like, "If you want to shoot video, get a dedicated video camera." The amount we hear that, you know, it's every third comment or whatever. And over the course of the show, we've really had it both ways. We started shooting on video cameras, like everyone else. We jumped on the DSLR video revolution when that started, moved to cinema cameras, and now we're back to hybrid mirrorless cameras. So we've really gone both ways in terms of producing our show as well as the cameras that we're actually reviewing uh chris do you do you ever shoot video like for fun uh where you're operating the camera um yeah like you know private stuff (laughs) like i don't really uh, you know it's mostly just family and that kind of thing i don't really shoot any video productions other than once in a while on tcs tv i will point the camera at jordan and uh I knocked it out of the park with the gimbal, I think, on our last video. Yeah, you totally, like, that's the nice thing. You've got the skill to do it. But I do think that's something we see so often is people will go out and take their stills camera out to have a good time with it. But more and more when people are switching it over to the video mode, it's because they're working um, as opposed to 
more of like a, yeah, a hobby or something like that. You know, I do it all the time. Just once in a while, I'll be like, okay, I got a day with the kid today. I am going to make a short video. And I really enjoy that when it's not for work. But I think I'm kind of the exception to the rule with that in a lot of ways. I remember there being this feeling a little while ago of like all photographers are going to have to learn how to be videographers because they're going to be expected to shoot it on the same jobs. And I don't know if people still talk that way, but that's always seemed a, a little crazy to me. It's so difficult to switch your brain over. Yeah, it is not the same thing to shoot both. So we can talk about both the technical and practical aspects of how to operate the gear and or, or what gear you need to do this. But just mentally, it's really challenging and really different. I mean, mm-hmm. you you need to start moving across time once it's video. Like it's not a single moment and people need to need to look better in a still. Like yeah. They need to be more perfect, whereas flaws kind of disappear into video. And, um, you know, I mean, have we, have we really reached the, the age yet of a true hybrid video stills camera? And the only reason I put that out is like, I mean, for our videos, the GH5 is, is the best thing we found for run and gun. It's fantastic. But I mean, admittedly, nobody, myself included, really use it for stills that often. It feels to me like none of the companies, even the ones doing it best, are really trying to build the ultimate hybrid camera. They're kind of falling on it. Like, I think the a7 III is, is it. In, it's one of the closest. Yeah. In my range of needs, it's, it's the, to me, it's the closest. But it's, I, th- there's a lot they still could be doing if the intention was like, people will buy this and then they'll shoot both. Well, and I think we're forgetting that when the 5D2 came out, that was that camera. It was currently the best video camera. I'll and, never forget. And the best photo camera that on was, the market at that, that was time. That was so insanely exciting. I mean, I, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but my background was this, like I wanted to be a filmmaker first, but handy cams looked so bad that it was never exciting to me. Or not exciting. I was so frustrated with the way videos I made turned out. You couldn't out. get the look that you were like, yeah. I framed it the way I want. It's not cinematic exactly. the way I envisioned yeah. this shot. So as my photos got more photogenic, more attractive, <laughs> I got more frustrated with the videos. So I just started doing more stills, less videos. 5D Mark II comes out. And like I remember a friend at iStock had just bought it. And we all just kind of had heard like, oh yeah, this shoots video, right? Like, let's try it out. He hits record and pop it onto the computer. We're looking at it and everybody's gathered around his desk, including the video editors at iStock. And, you know, iStock at this point was already selling millions of videos a year. And he's like, wait a minute, is that, is that real? Like this is coming off the still, like it, it was really shocking. Like it was this feeling of like, this is going to change everything. And nobody announced like it wasn't an announcement nobody told the world like oh guess what video changed forever yeah it just happened i I remember it was such a footnote in the press release and i was really excited because i was aware of those limitations you know i was like i want big sensors for video but they're just reds or whatever Mm. and i remember thinking like oh i hope they don't screw that up and then the nikon came out before the 5d2 and totally screwed it up um the d80 (laughs) was the first one with it what was wrong with it i I don't remember what the d80 did uh tons of aliasing no exposure control whatsoever it was just exposure comp that's pretty bad having to turn off the well get out of the uh, shooting mode change your aperture then go back into it that was pretty that was pretty debilitating no mic jack was a huge thing too yeah the most most striking thing to me seeing it was the noise yeah that like it's shooting hd and it's so clean right to highest like you shoot low light real low light and it looks great because indoor lighting at all was kind of off limits with video like you could shoot it but it looked like it always looked total garbage Yeah. yeah 
So, yeah, I mean, it, it was insanely exciting. Then, as we all know, uh, Canon didn't capitalize on this and uh, just slowly moved forward, made incremental changes. Well, we still all bought 5Ds to make yep. movies with. But then, um, I don't know, like, who, who kind of picked, picked I, it up? I think it was really Panasonic kind of grabbed the ball from that with the GH yeah. series a little bit. Um, but again, that was, at the time, really solid mirrorless camera with the GH1, GH2 for still photo. And the video was very capable on it. But after that, we started to see separate the camera lines a lot more. Were they the first ones to do 4K? Uh, that would be the GH4 was the yeah. Panasonic was the first to do that. Too. No, but it was the first like SLR style or mirrorless. Yeah, or, mirrorless camera to do. Wait, what's the, I always forget the word for ge- ge- generic word for SLR and mirrorless. Uh, ILC. ILC. Interchangeable, Interchangeable lens, lens camera. camera. Right. Yeah. yeah. I got to start shifting to saying that because a lot of the time I'm trying to refer to everything and I just, right. that mirrorless are never and the SLR. Mind. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. guilty of that as well. Here's something I want to put out there then. So let's say this A7S three comes out. And it has a flip screen and it has, you know, 10 bit and decent face detect. Would that, would that change everything? Yes. I mean, is that what we're looking for? Yeah. What else is missing? No, there's also some usability stuff, I think as well. Something Jordan and I were talking about at the store yesterday was sensor, sensor and like ND issues of like when you remove a lens, which okay, wait, this is a, that's a more general thing. Sensor dust drives me insane. Yeah. That's not really a video specific issue. The bigger issue is like, I think they need to start addressing ND at yeah. some point. Like that's a really severe limitation, not being able to have internal NDs. Right. And I know they could do it. Yeah. I know there is a way it could be done. Well, they're on the market. Like the FS five yeah. is an E-mount camera with the electronic variable neutral density. And it's the best thing ever. I was so reluctant to walk away from that camera, even though the GH five gave me better image quality, just because it's so convenient to be able to run the ND from yeah. situation to situation. Yeah, that that would be absolutely huge. And then, yeah, like, like you're saying, Chris, the flip out screen is, they got to figure it out. I don't know what the, the holdback is, but it's it's the reason that I, I noticed in your A7 III video, the DP review one, you're like, nobody's going to buy this as a vlogging camera. And like, I just, I I I just did. <laughs> <laughs> but you know where I'm coming from yeah. on that, though, right? It is, you know, I think a lot of people who are doing vlogs aren't to the same caliber as you or, or don't want to really put in the, the same amount of effort. And that's why people are still going to be rocking, you know, like Canon M100s and stuff like that. Well, I think even worse than that, it's not it's not just the effort. It's that it actually can make you screw up a lot. Like, mm-hmm. there's a little while that like, Casey Neistat switched to Sony's away from his uh, Canon ADD. Yeah. I think he's back to the ADD, and and he had also and then he'd also tried the the Panasonic GHs, and the autofocus wasn't working. So, like, you know, he's he and other people like him are in the, like the most demanding situations. Like he wants it to look good. Like he wants the depth of field of bigger sensors, but also needs it to be super mobile and like really responsive. And part of that is being able to monitor what you're doing without reviewing it, like just yeah. seeing it yeah. in real time and adding an external monitor. That doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, for travel, like not only for vlogging, but I, you know, I just went on this two week trip and it wasn't really vlog style enough to point the camera at myself very much, but my bags were overflowing. Like, right. Just to have enough to shoot this took two very full camera bags. And I can't add, like, I, the focus from small HD is, you know, small and portable and great, but really... You're still dragging that around. You're dragging those big <laughs> lithium batteries around, which yeah. are a pain as well. It's so much weight on it. I just, I, I really need to have as little as possible with me. And so a flip-out screen 
goes a long way. So I, I guess what I'm saying is that even the people doing the best, the the best work in this category, are choosing a kind of a worse camera. Yeah, an inferior tool just for yeah. convenience and usability's yeah. sake. That's what they're where they've got to iron the kinks out on these things. So then my statement stands. P73, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no good for vloggers. I got you. It's perfect. Tyler says it on his podcast. That's fantastic. I would love to find out actually more people. Like, <laughs> anybody listening, if you can point me to people vlogging on Sony's, I'd be yeah. I'd be curious. Actually, sixty five hundreds are everywhere. Yes, um, like true. at yeah, NAB, they're, they're covered because just wh- how do those screens work? I don't remember. They, well, they're this terrible, same as the A seven three. But everybody's putting small HD focuses on them, oh. and that seems to be kind of becoming one of the vlog standards right, right. now. Uh, or GHs where they learn to deal with the fact continuous autofocus doesn't work. Now, for me, the the A7S III would also have to have a fairly decent resolution sensor, you know, like maybe throw the 20 megapixel in there if we're really going to call it a proper hybrid. Because really the idea is you have to be comfortable doing stills and video on it. The GH5, as much as I love the photo quality, people don't give uh, Micro Four Thirds a lot of respect for image quality and and for some reasons which you understand. So... I think that would also be key. I, yeah, have to I have- totally agree. Like, tw- what was it, 12 on the 12, A7S II, yeah. right? That That's kind of fine for all sorts of things. Like, I, I don't mind it sometimes, but you can't crop at all. No. You know, like most of my delivery stuff, yeah, I can deliver at 12. That's not really a problem. Yeah. But I can't have that zero margin of error where yeah. everything needs to be perfect. And, I, and I'm giving up. I'm giving up a lot. Like that's it's it's too small. You know, if the shot happens yeah. to be important, and I didn't expect it was twelve is tiny. We'll also remember yeah. the S series have always had terrible contrast detect autofocus. They never oh, got right. the sexy yeah. stuff from the Sonys for but, well, autofocus. Now that the now that the seven three has it, I, I'm hoping that they've got to move it forward. But remember too, we were looking. I was looking at a seven S two to compare to the three. We didn't have it when the camera first came out, and the image is so much sharper on the a seven three because it's super sampling that image. And I think the next big Sony camera needs that. You know, it needs mm-hmm. to be a you know, an 18 to a 24 megapixel sensor. So you can just pull as much detail off of that as possible. And it helps reduce noise to have an oversized image that it's just compressing at 24, 30 times a second. So what about uh, in terms of like ergonomics when we're looking at, wait, what do we call these cameras? E L C I L C I L C. Yeah. (laughs) We, uh, we, we need to adapt the way that we shoot video having, traditionally been using things that are shaped like a handy cam right uh which is basically a shrunk down version of what went on your shoulder before that you know it was all like kind of a bullet like you would hold it um in a forward way you'd grip it like i don't know, like how to visualize this grab a water bottle yeah. and hold it up on your shoulder right um and all of a sudden now we're holding them very differently we're holding them like we shoot stills which is not really ideal it's in not. a lot of ways like your 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 hands become much less stable yeah. And it also starts to put record buttons in weird places, which Sony only just figured out yeah. now. But, you know, the the having even having two triggers, right? Totally. Now you have to have them both be kind of equally important and equally accessible yeah. and be able to press both at the same time. Well, and you'd always move the camera hitting the record button because they try to keep it out of your way. Right. Finally, yeah. Sony's woken up, Panasonic's done it for a while, where your shutter button becomes your record button when you're in movie mode, um, which makes a lot of sense because you think about a handy cam your index finger was still the zoom and record button on. So that. I actually didn't end up doing that on the, on the last two weeks of the Madness. A7R 3 because I would I would make the mistake of just starting a video when I meant to take a photo. Right. And that takes a long time to stop and then switch out of cuz then you need to also change the dial. Right. So if you 
thought you were about to take a photo, it, yeah, you're you're really kind of screwed. <laughs> so, uh, whereas otherwise, if you press it, you get an error, but right. that's quicker to clear than stopping recording. Gotcha. Yeah. So that was the only. Re- I mean, I. But this is an example of like I think if companies were focused on this is going to be for people that are shooting both yeah. stills and video on the same camera, they could design around that. I mean, it could. I'm not going to like try to explain a solution because it should be thought about more carefully than this. But you know, just like the way that you press it and the way that the dial is set, all these things should be better thought out. I think maybe the biggest one that nobody's really tapped into is being able to in in like one switch flip between video mode and photo mode. Yeah. Where it's not that everything changes, but just it is it is targeting video centric stuff. So like for example, global shutter, like changing the shutter information to being aiming for video shutter speeds. So mm-hmm. with the way I got around that on the A7R three is I used the, what do they call the custom mode? Memory like, recall. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where it has one and two. And yep. I set those to have video functionality on it. So when I switch to them, I get my picture profile and I get like, mm-hmm. you know, kind of all the, all the video stuff, you know, I'm at a 50th of a second and all that stuff. Yep. Um, that really helped a lot, but that's kind of hacking the camera to do but it hopefully would do right out of the box. Yeah, and yeah. somebody had to tell me. Like, I didn't think of it myself. I had right. to like, find the advice, um, which thanks to Nick Sparks Photography on Instagram for writing about that. <laughs> well, and it's funny, too, because of the way people have acclimated now to using these hybrid devices. If you had a camera that automatically switched when I jump into video mode to a proper 180-degree shutter, like that 50th of a second that you mentioned... I think a lot of people would be on the phone with Sony or Panasonic or whoever the next day, like, why is my camera doing this? You know, um, there's kind of, there's kind of like a barrier of entry to why that's a good idea in the first place. So they're, they have to satisfy so many different types of people with these. And it's a real tightrope, you know, like I like the Panasonic's give you the option to do it, but it means same thing. You're menu waiting for a while to make that camera into the camera that you want it to be. And if I pass it off to an amateur videographer, they're going to be like, why is there a waveform and it says 180D at the bottom of it? This is this thing's terrifying. Take it back. Is there any technical reason that also those global shutter speeds can't exactly line up with the math? So, like, w- which examples aren't there? One. Tw- so, if you shoot 120 frames yes. per second, there's no 240 frames per second. Fuji's actually addressed that with their X-H1 is the first oh. one I've seen. So it'll do a 48th of a second, a 240th. Yeah. Um, we'll let you select those speeds. And of course, the cameras with 180 degree shutter. I feel like yeah. I'm just listening to us in my head and I feel like we're getting too technical. I, I, which <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's now it's too late because we lost everybody that doesn't uh, know what we're, what we're talking about. But I don't know. Like, what about you, Chris? Like from a stills perspective, do you ever find the video stuff getting in your way or kind of frustrating you because it's i mean i know you know how it works so you're not confused by it but i think i think that's what it is i think what we're finding now maybe we can look at it as the xh1 and the gh5 people are starting to get confused but the the industry is starting to recognize that more and more people are getting into videography and want to take it further and so i i think it's to their credit that the companies are starting to realize like hey serious videographers are going to appreciate these features and demand them but Jordan's right too. I mean, it's it's hard to please everybody and not throw some people off. I don't find it really messes me up for photo and stills. Not really. It used to. I mean, the companies have gotten so much better about separating video and photo features, especially, I mean, Sony's been really good. Panasonic's always been good, where as you switch between movie mode and stills mode, you don't have to completely reset the camera. 
But yeah, back in the day, it was a real pain. I mean, if I give Jordan a camera and then I get it back to shoot stills, it's it was terrible. It was a terrible experience. And I still hold it against him. La- last ergonomics thing is, is rigs, which we didn't touch on at all. But so when I got my 5D2, or when I really started shooting video with my 5D2, I got all this like Zacuto gear and I got like a shoulder rig oh. and all this stuff. I've, I've backed off of a lot of that stuff and I end up really simplifying. How Most people have, yeah. yeah. It just... Yeah. It was too, it meant I couldn't shoot stills. It was like a cottage industry that just sprung up from the 5D Mark II and then promptly died again. Um, yeah, I, I'm, it's funny that the SLR manufacturers actually kind of just let go of video, eh? Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I saw the Zacuto booth at NAB right. and it was for viewfinders this right. year. Yeah. That's the company. I, I got to say, though, I like Zacuto. Yeah, like, it's their great product stuff. is yeah. so well made. They so. made a really great gray t shirt that I wear a lot as well. <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, what about lenses? This is, uh, I know one of your hobby horses, Jordan. I've been on this one for a while. Explain the problem. Okay. So Jordan uses one lens. (laughs) Sounds like you solved the problem. There's there's no like intricate mystery. It's Jordan. What do you think about lenses? Oh, there's one lens, 1835 Sigma. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. But the reason for that is... You know, that they're with the mirrorless cameras, they're really making the push to make everything as small and light as possible. And I think they're kind of hitting a wall with optically, if you want fast, extreme focal lengths, the lenses are going to be big. So their savings is pulling off any mechanical parts they can. And one of those is the focus ring on them, unfortunately. They're focused by wire, which means you can't ever repeat a move and your muscle memory becomes meaningless. There's no way that you can properly train yourself to do a snap pull from the foreground to the background and have it actually land where you need it to. Yeah. So, I mean, the effect of this is that when you see somebody manually focusing, especially, so yeah, with Sony lenses, for example, yeah. the, the ones I'm using, when you see a video that's been shot where the person is manually focusing, you will often see this like micro hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, this, the transitions are never going to be super smooth you can the, the viewer can really see it like it has a different effect even if you get it in focus mm-hmm. you're going to be like missing it and needing to adjust back so much more yeah well and everyone always says like what we need is faster video autofocus that's always everyone's concern but um you know it's an old filmmaking trope that the more like if you quickly pull focus from one to the that's other it's a hitchcock yeah, trick totally, yeah. it's a hitchcock trick that makes people nervous and unsettled if you do it slowly it's natural and no one notices it this is why canon's dual pixel autofocus is considered the best out there but if you use it for stills on one of their mirrorless cameras you're like this is slow <laughs> autofocus yeah. it doesn't track a moving subject fast and well because there's two different looks to it and i think the camera manufacturers really need to start to recognize that yeah. i'd love to see like a quick toggle on it when you're in an autofocus that just cycles between slow, oh, fast maybe focus that's transitions. what I should set my custom button to on my A7 III to, to change. the actually, That could actually be that would make a lot you of can sense. make it faster or slower. We just solved it. Here's a nasty question, though, that's probably going to upset Jordan. Is manual focus dying? Yes. Yeah. I use it so rarely. In the, I've been shooting more and more video the last year or two, and... It's getting less each year how much is manually focused because, yeah. but that's my situation too. I'm like shooting myself a lot yeah. and then right. I need to rely on face detection. But, but I've, I've gone that way as well. I'm using single point autofocus quite a bit when I know we need to move quickly. 
uh, you know, if it's slower, I'll always manual focus and try and figure it out. I find it really useful so I can see where my depth of field's lying uh, in the shot just to quickly drift it back and forth. But in a pinch, single point autofocus, I do still really struggle with continuous autofocus for that reason I mentioned. It just never seems to pull focus at the speed you want it to or... Yeah, it, or you see those little micro jitters and things like that. And with big sensor cameras, it's tough to avoid that. But it's going to get better. Like, I'm aware this is not going to become a non-issue in the future. It's just for the time being, you know, I'm really proud of that muscle memory I built up over the last 12 years. So I'm going to get the most use out of it as possible. I mean, Jordan, it's the, only, a dinosaur, it's the yeah. only muscle you got. So. Exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah, but we, we keep asking the question. Like, We keep asking, why aren't the manufacturers making focus pulls and, and, and manual switchover clutches? Why aren't they doing that? And maybe it's because the obvious answer is it's not viable because they feel it's just not going to be used yeah, or needed. It won't last. Yeah. yeah, it could be. Yeah. It just seems like though, on like the focus by wire, couldn't you change like the throw distance? Like, couldn't well, isn't that programmatic? This is. I wanted to talk about this because we're about to go shoot our Fuji XH1 review, and they, they finally mm. put a linear motor in it. So um, yeah, it remembers which axes it was at, and that directly correlates to a specific focal distance. So nice. it's not marked. I'm really used to like looking at my lens to figure out where my focus marks are, but. It's a huge step in the right direction. So hopefully yeah. the other guys will jump on that. One lens I'm really interested in, I might get at some point, I don't know yet, is the 35 millimeter 1.2, or there's also the 51.1 from SLR Magic. Mm-hmm. Um, but thir- 35 seems kind of perfect for me because it is insanely shallow and it's all manual and it's cheap. Mm-hmm. So to me, like the idea of those you know Zeiss has a great lens a great line of super sharp beautiful e-mount lenses that I could you know get a 3514 or whatever and they're great yeah. but I can't buy an expensive manual focus lens that's crazy right there's no way I'm going to do that for for what I do you know I know if if you're doing like cinematography where yeah. you're shooting sort of commercial work a lot then yeah you can autofocus a lot more often but when I'm running gun it does make sense. Well, and the honestly, the Chinese lens manufacturers are doing a huge favor for everybody. It's all these interesting aesthetics or, you know, like Laowa are making all these weird, you know, like a 15 millimeter full frame macro lens, stuff like that. <laughs> That's fascinating. <laughs> Why? It's really cool. Yeah, You've got to yeah, play exactly. with it. Um but uh, I think that's really where things need to go because you look at, you know, Canon Nikon, the amount of R and D to make a mass market lens. They're like we're not going to make you a 15 millimeter Mac. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding? 50 people buy it, but now 50 people can get a cheap manual totally. focus, really interesting lens. And, and also with a lot of these ones, especially the e-mounts is they can get so small when they're yeah. manual focus and they don't say they're not a zoom. Like as they get simplified, they can be very portable, which yeah. is a lot. I get more and more sensitive to as totally. I shoot Sony more, yeah. like everything big feels big. Right. So, and also just last note on lenses, like those Sigmas, they did the E-mounts. That's the wrong way to go. They're there. so big. They're way too big. And they're so front heavy because there's right. basically just a hollow metal tube yeah. at the back of it these just, SLR lenses. It feels like... It's the wrong way to go. They went, they're they cheap, went, they went which is nice. And they said they're going to... I know they're going to design new ones, but... Anyway, okay, next thing I got written in my notes is stabilization, which kind of snuck up on me how much I gradually depended on it more and more. Yeah. At first, it's like, oh, this is kind of nice. And now I can't not have it. Right. When I'm shooting <laughs> with my 5D4, um, it's a problem. Like, yeah. I just shoot as if it's there. You know, like, handheld at 50 millimeters becomes unacceptable. Yeah, it's uh, unusable. Yeah. E- even wide, 
Like, it, because this is, if anybody doesn't know, like heavier cameras really have a different look to their handheld field. So if you're holding an Alexa and and just moving it around, the weight gives it a natural, yeah. smoother motion, much smoother. Like, it's shocking how big of a difference it makes. I don't understand it all. Real, <laughs> like, I, I, I know it happens. I don't fully get it. <laughs> but it's very visible, the difference. And on, on a smaller camera, you see that, that movement. Right. And so image stabilization totally evens that out. But anyway, I don't know what my point was. You, Chris, what about you? Do you say something about image stabilization? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's fantastic. I think, um, I mean, again, the X-H1 is pretty unique in that we've got companies who are recognizing that people want IBIS. They want this built-in stabilization. It's a, an important selling feature. Even though they said they were never going to be able to do it, they did it. So, you know, of course I like it. Um, I, I feel like I feel like for video work it's very important because of the slow shutter speeds that are used for video work. For stills, I think people kind of get lulled into the trap of oh you know stabilization will take care of it, but you still have to remember you need the right shutter speed for movement that you're trying to deal with photographically. But um, yeah, who doesn't love image stabilization? Well, and it puts us in a real interesting situation because we have access to a GH5s which has. Way better low light and, importantly, more dynamic range. So even in good light, it's a better camera. But we still find ourselves jumping on the GH5 for the stabilization. At the end of the day, that's the most important thing for the aesthetic. And, you know, I, at a certain point, got tired of shooting everything on a monopod or a tripod or a slider. Uh, I wanted to start doing more handheld stuff. It's really liberating. And, yeah, that means we're grabbing a GH5. What I'm waiting for is you watch all the amazing gimbals that are out now. And of course, right now, even though they're getting small, they're, they're based for video. But could you not have a dedicated camera body that has a built-in gimbal for the sensor lens, um, you know, uh, like the, the system, the, the sensor and the lens assembly on its own sort of three-axis gimbal the size of a camera body? God, I hope so. Because honestly, these gimbals are all garbage. I mean, even the ones I like. Yeah. They're just so flawed. Like it is, it is a miserable experience shooting with any of them. They're just inconsistent. Yeah, yeah. You, and you lose all your real control. Like there's no precision in the control anymore. Mm-hmm. You can get great shots that I still would. Re- I'm glad I have them. It's so much better than before we had them. But the more you rely on it, the more you're like, wow, this, this has a lot of issues. And this is any of them. I mean, even the best ones. But I think we're really seeing uh, DJI. They've got their X5 camera out there right now, which is an APS-C five and a half K raw shooting video camera right now, but I think they're going to move into camera land very quickly um, yeah. would be my wow. guess, you know, with them picking up Hasselblad as well. So they've got somebody with some photographic background. I think that's the way we're going to see that move. And yeah, if they bring out a $3,000 stabilized camera that's ergonomically sound, that's going to change things enormously. By the way, I picked up an Osmo mobile two today. So yeah, that'll be fun. I haven't used it yet, but. <laughs> it's the best of the cell phone ones, but it I mean, will flake yeah, out phones, once in a while. Cell phones are the real cameras now anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, conversation over by a cell phone. There's the ultimate hybrid. Uh, color profiles didn't matter when we were shooting stills, because if you shoot JPEG, then, well, what do you care about image quality anyway? Yeah. If you're shooting raw... <laughs> the color profile doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. Again, I know I already touched on this. This, this should be like my thing that I bring up every episode. People are so confused about color. With raw, anyway. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But with color profiles, you can see more of a significant difference. 
if you, especially if you're shooting with the default color profile, like full contrast standard, you can see a massive difference between a Canon and a Sony. Oh, enormous. Yeah. Um, but typically we don't, we don't shoot with that. One thing that's, wait, before we get into specific, let's talk more about why it matters. Even if you're not shooting with a log, flatter profile. So I, I don't shoot much log anymore. I'm shooting. Yeah, we shoot way less log now. Yeah, I'm shooting Cine 2. Uh, so picture profile 6? PP6. Yes. Yeah, picture profile 6 is what I try to shoot with. Yeah. Sony's as much and as possible. And basically, all all it really is is like desaturated and a little less contrast. Yeah. But like, it's not... It, it look, you could... You could if, deliver it if yeah, you had to. If you glance at it, you're like, that's kind of a normal image-ish. Yeah. Sony has a good variety of these, but Canon does not. Yeah. You have to set up your own picture profile mm-hmm. that doesn't look as good. Like, I don't think setting a Canon to desaturated low contrast. Yeah, doing the zeroed out everything that everybody's been doing oh. does not look, and it doesn't play as nicely with other cameras as right. picture yeah. profile 6 with Sony does. It's the last resort, really. Yeah. You have no other. I think it preserves less dynamic range. I think that it's, I find it a little harder to to bring back. I don't don't know. Yeah, saturated colors tend to get, and that's partially because they're 8-bit cameras, but it just washes out where the other ones don't. Um, Did you get your 5D4 upgraded to shoot log? Yes, I did. I never talked about it. Did did I talk? I don't think I talked about it. Um, It's really, really amazing. It's great. (laughs) Like, the log looks so good on on that camera, Mm -hmm. and I feel like Everything I was just saying, where the Canon for low contrast, harder to grade, I find the Canon log even in super easy, so yeah. easy to grade, yeah. way easier than S log. Like I can shoot it in all the, I, I could just shoot it in all the time. It feels awesome. Like I don't mind, and it's minimum ISO is a lot lower. I don't yeah. remember what it is, but it's. I think it's like one sixty or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. So all of useful. a sudden, I don't have that constraint of needing more ND filters and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I've been really happy with that. That makes me want to use my Canon more. I'm still not going to because of mainly uh, kind of most of the time it ends up because of uh, stabilization. Yeah. Cause I need to be able to handhold it and make it look smooth. But um, yeah, I, I, I really like the, the look of C log out of that thing. Yeah. I think the color science is like Sony's now at a certain point, everyone's just going to have Canon Alexa color, you know, mm-hmm. like the reason that Canon log looks so good is it's all modeled after the Alexa log look, uh, which is kind of the standard for a flat look that's easy to, it's really malleable, it's easy to work with. The problem is everybody tried to make their own unique one so that you couldn't use other people's color profiles and stuff. And at the end of the day, there is kind of a bar where color looks pretty good. Right. And it seems like Canon and Aerie have kind of locked that down. Now we're seeing Panasonic with the GH5S and Sony doing that same boost to the mid-tone magentas and stuff. Uh, so I think over time, these flatter profiles are going to start to look more and more similar to the point where it becomes then, less of an issue. You know, Canon aside, now that we've got raw process, well, sorry, raw recording in in Apple ProRes on on multiple platforms. Oh man, ProRes we, raw is yeah. amazing. Yeah, are we going to go back to you know, color profile doesn't matter and it'll be done in post? Yes, are we? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the end game. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I have some issues with how it's implemented right now in terms of when you're actually grading the footage, but it's how it should be. You bring the footage in, and just like a raw photo, you just adjust your exposure up and down, and it keeps finding more meat in the file. Or you adjust your white balance left and right, and it doesn't break apart. Okay, but let's let's talk about... Uh, ProRes raw just a little bit. Um, so for, first, for you anybody just lost that missed so many it, listeners, <laughs> for anybody that missed it, can you sell it real quick, Jordan? Make it sound exciting. 
okay, it's a really compressed raw format like what Red's been doing for a long time, which is why people love Red's. They're small files, but they give you the flexibility of raw so you can adjust your exposure, your white balance, your tint. ISO? Uh, and ISO invariant as well, yeah. That sounds great. It, and then the advantage over it's, Red is that it then plays back smoothly because it's... Yeah, because it's natively... Right yeah. now it's only in Final Cut, but I, I saw it on not an iMac Pro, like an iMac with six channels of 4K RAW playing yeah, stacked awesome. on top of each other in a timeline, uh, playing natively. So, but tell me about uh, file size, because I've gotten pretty used to how much footage I can shoot on a 64 gig card right. in 4K on these current hybrid cameras, which to me is, that's a real advantage. Like mm-hmm. I, can't, I, I go through, you know, while I'm traveling, like I'm filling up, you know, six SD cards that are all 64 gigs yeah, just for video. Then plus I'm shooting stills and that's another six SD cards. Um, I can't afford that many. Right. Like high, like either 256 SD cards or CFast cards or like specialty stuff that most of the cameras that are shooting raw require, mm-hmm. what will this do to me once things are, are recording? So um, I haven't been working with SD cards that much, mm-hmm. but if you use the lower of the quality, which seems to be what most people are leaning towards, um, it looks like there's not a huge image quality gain going to their higher data rate version. You're getting about 20 minutes to a 64 gig card. So it's not that's, practical oh, for long form. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's going to get better. Uh, you know, card prices are always dropping, yeah. but it's feasible where, you know, before if I took out, you know, if I decided to shoot for uh, that new five and a half K raw on an evil one, you were looking at like, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. know, That's 500 right. gigs to a minimum or something like that. Yeah. You know, it was absolute insanity. So um, this is within the range where if it's a bigger commercial project, I could be like, yeah, I'm going to shoot it in ProRes raw. Yeah. Great. I know. And it, it depends who you are. Yeah. To, to people doing commercial work. This, I will not be nothing, shooting so. Chris Nichols in ProRes Raw <laughs> for the foreseeable future, but maybe in a couple of years, it'll be at the point where that's feasible. Having worked at a camera store for a while, um, when, when people are coming in and buying these cameras that we keep talking about, this list of cameras that are great as hybrids, what do you guys find people are typically buying them for? I imagine most people are still buying them for stills. Like, What mm-hmm. percentage of people really care about the video features? I mean, Chris would be a better person to ask for that because he sees I get the people who come in looking for a video right. camera. And now I can say if you're looking below $5,000, it's exclusively mirrorless cameras at this point. I mean, no one's buying camcorders, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we'd move maybe or, one a month or something like that. Or or SLRs for that matter either. Yeah. Less now, but yeah. Um, it's a stills camera with good video functionality. Uh, Chris, what would you say the ratio is of people who are looking at like, I mean, the a seven three is the perfect case study for this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the best all rounder since the five D two. Um, every 10th comment on our channel is basically like more Jordan, less Chris. So that, that, that <laughs> tells me right there, people, people are going for video. Well, and you know, legitimately so like they want questions answered about video. So I think it's just become really fashionable now. And I'd say it's probably, I'd, I don't know, 70, 30 for photography. I was going to say 30, but, yeah. Yeah, but but that that being said, uh, n- not to sound stereotypical or anything, but I would say the, the older crowd are still kind of photo-based and diehard, like, you know, never video uh, over my dead body kind of thing. But younger people kind of getting into creative arts in the first place, they're getting exposed to photo and video at the same time. And, and honestly, video, because... 
they're watching YouTube, they're watching influencers, they're watching Casey Neistat. And so I think a lot of the young generation, they, they really want video before they even want stills. So I think that ratio is going to change very rapidly. Yeah. And I also think like to bring up your recent trip and stuff like that. So often it's people like, I have a camcorder. I am not bringing it on this trip. So I want to make sure this photo camera that I'm buying has good video features. Let's talk about video. I mean, if we want to talk about the masses recording video, I know, again, it's kind of a dead horse. But when we go back to the cell phone. Are people nowadays really taking a lot of photos on their phone compared to video? I'd say, you know, when you look at stories and you look at, you know, Instagram, all that kind of stuff, I'd say videos become incredibly prevalent as a creative outlet. Yeah, when it comes, I think you're right that especially when it comes to cell phones, because I I think probably people shoot way more video on their cell phones than on these bigger cameras. Even right. Like, so if they buy in the same year, they buy a cell phone and they buy a mirrorless camera. Mm-hmm. they'll end up using the cell phone 10 times, a hundred yeah. times as much for video. Well, and the cell phone is such a great case study because they put so much effort into, in the software size, they're like, look, we got a small lens, we got a small sensor, this video is not going to be good, so we're going to have to work some software magic to make everything work out. And generally with a cell phone, if you hit the record button on it, even in difficult situations, it's going to do a good job where I still find yeah, easy. I give someone a GH five who's not used to shooting video that much. And if they shoot log and misexpose it or something like yeah. that, um, you know, they're or also screwed. stabilization, the image stabilization out of a phone, like a modern iPhone or yeah. any of them is crazy. It's so smooth. Like it almost feels like a gimbal already. It's yeah. great. Yeah. Like I would say it's Olympus with EM one, two, which is like a yeah. $3,000 camera and then every smartphone released in the last two years and then underneath that is everything else for stabilization quality i think it's also interesting to think about um how much you end up needing two versus one camera to do this work so when i bought my sony the idea was that if i'm going to be shooting video and stills at the same location at the same time i need to switch between cameras yeah because i can't switch the settings quickly enough i can't prep them for each other. Mm-hmm. I wonder how much longer that's going to last. Like I, I felt like the increased usability, the A7R three got me quite a bit closer yeah. to being able to uh, do uh, both on one camera. Uh, also things about the way that the um, Canon 5D Mark four works. So when, like when you change it to log mode to C log, it only does that in video mode. You don't yeah. have to change it back and forth as you as you flip modes. Like they're making these little adjustments that realize, like, oh yeah, you you might not want it to work exactly the same way in both modes. Yeah, I'm curious for for professionals that are doing both, like how long will you keep wanting two cameras? Or well, and I think you always with the uh, GH5 is a great example because we're at the point now where. I can jump between photo and video very quickly. Like I just have it on the dial manual movie modes, my standard, my customs are my slow-mo. And then anywhere on the program aperture shutter manual is back to photo modes. Um, and it's, I find the camera's not the limiting factor anymore. It's my brain um, is it always takes me a second to like flip out of right. one headspace or the other. But and, that's part of the advantage of the two cameras. I think too, is that it, it changes your mental model quicker. Yeah, to, like, Oh, it's this one. Yeah. 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 
I, I do think that's definitely uh, the case, but I think it's a problem that's going to go away with this generation of cameras. Like the a7 III is very close. The Fuji X-H1 is very close. Well, that was going to be my next question. What would you guys recommend as the, the, the best of the best for somebody shooting both stills and video this year in 2018? If you're shooting right down the middle, 50-50 split, it's the a7 III. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone's... I got totally. Why, why debate <laughs> yeah. it? Why? I mean, you bought it. You yeah, know. That's why I bought it. Well, I mean, I, I think there could be an argument for uh, smaller sensors for some people. Yeah. If if some of the micro four thirds stuff appealed to you, then that makes it the actually. I guess which Panasonic? Yeah. Um, well, the GH five. Yeah. yeah. And and I, and I think it's unfortunate that people just kind of give the four thirds sensors a bad rap because um, when you look at it based on numbers and ISO performance and all, yeah, sure, it's it's inferior, but. When you look at it in terms of photography in 2018, we're spoiled regardless. They take beautiful photos. Why would you not would, say the G9? Is that what it's called? The more stills-oriented yeah. one? Is it? Does it give up too much on the video side? It, it gives up quite a bit on it. Um, it does, yeah. Like, for me, the biggest one by far is uh, losing the 10-bit, which is like, I'll shoot a smaller sensor if I've got great color space. But if it's 8-bit across the board, then... You know, I'm like, I will probably, for the same price point, move up to something like a Fuji X-H1 as a bigger sensor. It's still 8-bit, a little more capable for stills. And again, with both of those, we're so close to the a7 III price point. Like, that's a really disruptive camera. It really is. If you're in that over $2,000 mark, it's hard to argue for a lot of these other premium smaller sensor cameras right now. The GH5 has quick touch screen, flip out screen. Um, and is still definitely a more video centric camera than the a more powerful video camera than the a7 III. Um, in in terms of you know having 180 degree shutter and having proper bit rates and and uh, good slow mo capability. But uh, yeah, as a 50 50 split, the a7 III checks a lot of boxes. Yeah, I really found um, when I was shooting that picture profile six that you like shooting that compared to a standard profile on GH, not a big difference. It's just when I started shooting log or mm-hmm. hybrid log gamma or something like that i could really tell the difference so yeah if you're shooting in picture profile six all the time get an a7 III, get better low light performance and get like one of the best stills cameras ever made by the way this would be a good time for me to bring back my idea that i made a youtube video about that camera manufacturers should make slates yes so the first frame of the video says all the information about how you're shooting it especially picture profile so if I'm flipping back and forth between log and PP6, I know later because sometimes you don't notice it. And then when you're grading, you don't know what you shot on. Anyway, yeah. it would help. Yeah. <laughs> I would say at the start and tail slate it as well. Totally. So, you know, at Why the not? end of it, if you changed camera settings, where you wound up at the end. Because so often I'll start recording video and be like, oh, no, I'm in log. And yeah. without cutting the clip, I'll just change the color profile. It makes me not shoot log. Yeah. I, I should be shooting log when I need it right now, mm-hmm. but I avoid shooting it entirely because I don't want to screw it up in my workflow later. So, yeah. Ugh. Um, all right, let's talk about you guys some more. Oh, cool. You have a new, We're huge you have a new, this is great. <laughs> you have a new thing. Um, so tell me more about what you want this to be a DP review. Like what? you imagine the, the best case scenario for it will be well i think um you know we've always said what works great for video reviews is the field test and the handling aspect of it and how it compares to other similar things and we've been doing that on our show for a really long time but over the course of time we started to become considered camera reviewers is you know people are like why aren't you talking about image quality more and stuff like that 
because honestly, the differences in these cameras are getting so small now, you need a perfectly controlled test to really set them apart. Um, you know, the Northrop's recently put out a video about how they stopped doing camera tests on their second floor because there was too much movement. If it was windy out, they had to go to the basement to do all of it. Uh, and things like that that just aren't feasible with the amount of time that we had and stuff like that. So we said, like, what if we had the best camera testers in the world handling that side of it? We can talk to them, get their opinions on it, and we can just take those results out and go shoot in the field. And it seemed like, you know, in YouTube, you're always like, what can I do that everyone else isn't doing? Because, you know, how many camera review channels are there out there? You know, it's endless. How do you set yourself apart? That seemed like an awesome way to do it to us. Well, and you you want to make a good product for your viewers, right? I mean, that that's really what it's about is trying to get them the information they're looking for. And there's times where yeah, we're making these reviews, people really like the hands-on, but when it comes to image quality and 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 ISO performance and stuff, we're backing it up with fairly homegrown kind of tests. And to our credit, they kind of turned out once in a while. But, you know, yeah, we're not able to give the product we want to give. So, it really was uh, a perfect fit to be able to then just provide what we want. Keep it entertaining, keep it informative, but then have all of the technical stuff taken care of as well. Here's a great example is when the 6D Mark II got announced, we were testing it early and we were testing the dynamic range and saying, this can't be right. We'll hold this review until we get a production camera where if, you know, when we first got that camera, if we were working with DP Review at the time, they could have been like, oh, yeah, that's right. The dynamic range is terrible. We could have got that information out there earlier. And earlier is important because people pre-sell, pre-buy cameras, like yeah. pre-order it now. It wasn't the case going back a few years. You know, a camera would come out, people test it in the shop and, you know, look at it. But now it's just a huge part of, I think, like smartphones and stuff of just wired people. If you think it might be right for you, you want to pre-order that. So getting reviews out early, I think, is a really important service. Um, and now we can do it better. I think another thing that could be really good about it is that I think seeing samples of photos in videos is almost useless. Not right. not quite, but it doesn't tell you much, you right. know, typically, unless it's a really visible problem or unless you zoom in on it and hold the frame for a long time. So, you know, compression's not screwing it up. Well, yeah, yeah exactly. And especially because we watch this stuff on our phones so often, you yeah. know, and like, I know that like you guys, sh- you guys put a lot of samples into your videos. And I, I mean, to me, I think it's because people want to see them. So I'd it's like, a, it's a camera. You got to show yeah, you gotta, so something. You, you kind of have to yeah. show it. Well, and I put, I put samples in too, yeah. but I just do it because I think people expect it. Not because I think it's that useful. useful. Yeah. It's not important to look at. And people trying to make any decisions or judgments based on the samples in, in, in the video, oh, yeah. like there's, that's not, it's not very interesting. So now you guys have this massive platform no. to redirect people to say like, okay, you just listen to us talk about it. You saw some low res samples, but here's a whole freaking website of tests yeah. showing all of the stuff in extreme detail. You can see the samples gallery and all this stuff. Exactly. So. Well, and the other big thing there that's really great about it is we can, our videos keep getting longer because we're trying to explain concepts to people over and over and over. Um, where with this, we can just say like, you know, this camera is basically ISO invariant. If you don't know what that means, here's a link. Mm-hmm. And we just did in a few seconds what would have taken, you know, three minutes for us to explain visually. I think the thing we want to get across, I mean, so far, actually, everybody's been 
so welcoming, which is really appreciated. I mean, you know, we're, we're basically, it's funny. It's like you look at YouTubers and you look at all the channels and there is a feeling of cooperation, but there's always also a feeling of like, oh, this is my brand of, you know, my, my flavor of choice and, you know, and anybody else's flavor is kind of stupid. And, and so it's really good to see we've got our show and our audience moving over deep peer view and everybody on deep view has actually been really welcoming, you know, for the most part. So that's great. That was great. They yeah. can be vicious now, over there. So, well, uh, I was saying it's like one of the biggest hornet's nests on like the photography internet side. So to get almost all positive feedback over this move was yeah, really it shocking. Turned, it, it turns out they always liked us. They just really hated our completely half-assed technical tests. <laughs> and, and so now they're like, Oh, we can like these guys again. So, yeah, I think that was that's a big step, and we're really uh, happy to do that. And we hope that TCS TV continues to do really well. And we uh, we want to see our subscribers subscribe to our channel on Deep Your View, uh, but also um, you know keep subscribing to TCS TV. Well, it just means more good content on the internet and uh, no. more coming out of Calgary too, which I like to it's, see. I've been saying it before, but now we've got you, Nathan Elson, Irene Redneck. Camera Store TV and DP Review all based in Calgary. Like I, it's it's becoming it's the like new hub. it's the new LA yeah, of yeah. camera shows. <laughs> also, good news. I just realized that my uh, threshold on my uh, gate was really high, like this. Hopefully, it didn't screw everything up. Because if I turn it up too high, I disappear. So I guess I'll I guess you guys all heard that for the last hour. <laughs> can tell Fingers crossed. <laughs> um, but guys, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I'm super excited to see. Uh, what's what's coming out yeah definitely everybody listening subscribe that's how they're judging our success so please subscribe <laughs> to dpreview.com and i hope you guys start a podcast someday just yeah. saying it's it's just, yeah. someday we have time we should we should do a podcast yeah All right. well talk to me when you do because uh, i have lots of, lots of mic recommendations and i can tell you exactly how to set the gate on your microphone <laughs> <laughs>